You're listening to a North Valley Community Church podcast. For more information and resources, visit us online at northvalleychurch.org. All right, well, good morning. Good to be with you guys. Uh, if you've got a Bible, you can open it up. Psalms chapter 8 is where I'm going to be this morning. Uh, my wife and I just got back from a trip out in Flagstaff. We got a camper, had our maiden voyage. Everything went good, so surprisingly enough. Uh, we're excited about uh, being here today, though, to celebrate. It's Memorial Day weekend, and there's a lot of folks that are all hitting the highways and getting into the backcountry, and so I thought it'd be fitting for us to kind of talk about and, and look at just how God views creation, the world that we live in, and so that we can enjoy it better and uh, get a real strong biblical foundation of it. How many of you guys have been a part of a, um, a, part of, uh, a, a secular education, like maybe a public university? I did. So I went to public schools. I didn't get a Christian education uh, much at all until I, uh, it was my family that gave me the Christian education, and then I ended up going to seminary because I needed to get a lot of education and training. But I went to a secular university. Uh, raise your hand if you went to a secular university. So probably taught evolution, right? Um, so today what we're going to do is we're going to look at one of the Psalms that absolutely refutes the idea of evolution. And again, for just a memory's sake, to rejog your memory, if you forget what evolution is, a guy named Darwin kind of created the concept. Uh, it spread like wildfire. It was the idea that basically some particles uh, com- uh, collided and spontaneously created uh, the living cell, and over millions of years, life has evolved, and now we have human species. I would argue that the likelihood of that possibly happening would be like a tornado sweeping through a junkyard and then miraculously assembling a 747 Boeing jet. Like, it ain't happening. So uh, that's basically evolution theory is uh, what we'll see. And some of you guys have some, perhaps some really good arguments and ideas. And so um, what I'm going to cover today is just going to be a broad overview with some specific truths. Uh, about helping us understand how God views the world that we live in and a Christian worldview on the world that we live in, specifically creation. And so um, I'll tell you my story in uh, my first battle with evolution theory. Um, I went to a public university, like I said, I took psychology 101. I remember walking into the class, uh, the professor started handing out sheets and it was this long list and at the very top of the sheet it said, the facts of evolution. Okay, Um, so immediately as a brand new Christian, I'm thinking, well, hang on just a second. I thought evolution was a theory, not a fact. So that was my check number one. I didn't like that. Um, So then I'm sitting there in the class and I'm kind of watching all the students and they're just like hook, line and sinker, vast majority of them, which was surprising to me because we're like in the Bible belt. But we are in a post-Christian world today. And I think if we, our assumption is that everybody believes what the Bible says, then we've assumed way too much. So I'm sitting there, and the professor's going through it, and he seems angry. He seems like angry as he's presenting this, and then it escalates to where he's belittling Christianity. He belittles uh, Christians um, and, and call, kind of uh, calls it oversimplistic, says things like the Bible's uh, a legend, a fairy tale, myth, uh, there's allegory, it's... It, uh, it's just not uh, a factual historical account of how things came to be. 
So I'm getting frustrated, feeling like I'm a young defender of the faith. So I'm thinking I've got to interrupt this guy because I'm thinking already like a pastor, all these people are, are going to be led astray and the bell's going to ring and they're walking out with the facts of evolution. So I'm thinking at least at an academic level, I could uh, bring it up that he didn't mention the word theory, right? Fair. Christian, non-Christian. You, you, you should say that. So I wait till the bell's about to ring. I know the time of the class. I'm literally like shaking in the back. I see a group of people kind of disgruntled, frustrated, because they probably think of the same thing that I'm thinking, that this is not a fact. These are not facts. These are theories. And then there's a group that are just total into what he's saying. So at the very last minute, I raise my hand and I say, sir, excuse me, excuse me. He says, yes, you, you in the back. So I sat in the back. I like to sit in the back. But anyway, so I was sitting in the back and he says, you, what, what is it? We don't have much time. I said, sir, is there any reason, I'm just curious, why on this sheet of paper that you just presented, you said the facts of evolution, but I checked the textbook and the textbook actually says evolution is a theory. And then he scoffs for a moment and then says these words, and I'll never forget them. I know this guy's face in my mind. I can hear him in my head. He says, what are you, a Christian? And then I said, yes, I am. And he said, figures. And a big group of kids and students started to laugh. And then the other uh, students, there was just a pocket, just a small pocket. They were like, yeah, he's a Christian. And so I'm thinking, all right, so now I got to do, now what next? Bring the bell rings, everybody walks out, but the pocket stands by me and they're kind of like, yeah, hey, thanks for mentioning that. I was going to say that. I'm like, no, you weren't. I had to say it because you didn't. And so they're like, well, we're glad you did. And I said, well, okay, good. Well, so I walk up and I said, sir, I just got to ask you a question again. Like, why would you do that? I thought the textbook says, look, here it is on this page is the, the theory of evolution. And then he just, I can't remember all that he said, but he went off on me. And then I got lost. It's like I was ADD like kicked in and he's like going after me. And I'm thinking, what am I doing? I'm confronting the professor. I'm just a young college student. What am I doing? And all of a sudden I zoned into his mouth because he looked like he had gingivitis or something. And, and then all I started thinking about was this guy's breath, how bad it stank. And he's just going off on me and I'm just like looking at his teeth. And then I'm thinking well, two words, tic-tac, tic-tac. He needs a tic-tac. And I'm thinking, I got, I got Tic Tacs in my bag, you know. And, uh, and I, in evangelism training, uh, I learned early on, like, if you're going to share, you know, like when you're sharing with people about stuff, you get close and all that stuff. The, the evangelism training of reaching out and doing ministry, you always want to share the word of life, uh, but you don't want to do it with the breath of death. <laughs> this guy had the breath of death. And literally, the bell rang, all the students leave. He belittles me, down, just, just disregards me. And then I walk out like a dog with a tail tucked between his legs. I felt whipped. And it drove me to study and investigate my faith. I made an emotional decision to follow Jesus Christ months before. And, uh, and then I intellectually started to reconsider everything that I had been taught and believed. Um, I came to Christ when I was 18 years old, and it was, this took place approximately in my freshman year, and it really got me thinking, like, I need a more intelligent faith, besides pointing out that the professor said 
facts versus theory. And so today what I'm going to do is I'm going to challenge you to whatever um, piques your interest. I want you to dive into it a bit more in this coming week. And I would argue that any argument that comes against this presentation I'm about to give you, the creation idea, um, you can find the truthfulness in Scripture played out and through inductive study as you intellectually engage this process. Um, so here's why I'm preaching this. One, it's, it's a personal passion of mine for you to embrace and understand the beauty of all creation, the mountains, the rivers, the trees. They're awesome. They're wonderful. It's a healing component. I really believe at the core of my being that when you get out, you can better come into the world. I think about Jesus and how he did ministry when he was overpressured. The Bible says is that literally he went into the wilderness and prayed and then came back recharged, refreshed, and ready to go. I think there's something there. Some of you are like, no, 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 no. I'll just look at the mountains and the trees from my car in an air conditioner and look, and I'm good. But there's a lot of believers, and has been for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, that literally recharge out in the wilderness and out in the outdoors I think you're going to find this to be doctrinal. This is an understanding that God created the universe out of nothing. There's a ton of biblical evidence of creation that God created something out of nothing. The Latin word is ex nihilo, and it means literally that God spoke and it came to be. And so what we're going to see is this idea of uh, the psalmist David giving praise to God at how he created everything. And so Psalms chapter 8 is where we're going to look. I told you uh, as this summer in the Psalms, there's a number of different types of psalm. Last week we looked at a testimonial psalm. This is a creation psalm. It's giving praise and adoration to God for his creation. So uh, Psalms chapter 8 is where we're at. And the title perhaps in your Bible is How Majestic Is Your Name to the Choir Master According to Giddith, a psalm of David. What is Giddith? Giddith was a, a festival that they would have after the season of uh, the harvest season of the grapes in the vineyards. And they would sing this song as a praise of like, God is good. Um, well, grapes have always represented kind of life and fertility and, and joy and celebration. And the vineyards were that. And for David, he would sing this psalm. And tradition has it where believers would sing Psalms chapter 8 after this, this harvest in the vineyards. And so here it is, Psalms chapter uh, 8, verses 1. And we'll finish out the chapter I'll give you a couple of points. He says this, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name. In all the earth, you have set your glory above the heavens. He mentions the Lord twice. The first time he, he says that, he's saying his name. It's a personal name to the Lord. The second time he uses his name in the Hebrew, it is Adonai, and it means that he's sovereign over all the creation. And David's given thanks about how God's created everything. David, perhaps at this time, is an older man in his life, and he's looking back at his own life and seeing how God is just good and grand and over all creation. Verse 2, look what it says. It says, out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to steal the enemy and the avenger. What's he doing? I think David got outside to look in. He realized he looked back over his life and sees the, the sovereignty of God, and then he sees the strength of God. 
And that he thinks about his own life when he was a young boy and he defeated that big giant named Goliath. He's seeing that God can use just the weak to profound the strength of the strong. And so David's kind of uh, looking back over his life and then he gets into the creation and he looks specifically at the creation and he's going to give praise. Watch this. Verse 3, he says, When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers and moon, and stars, which you have set in place. It's really interesting to me. I don't know if you've been looking at the stars lately, but how many of you guys have seen those satellites that are flying through the sky right now? Elon Musk and SpaceX has been launching this stuff. I've been doing a lot of stargazing lately, and just look up. Every time I look up those stars, I'm overwhelmed with seeing, man, God is powerful. God is big. And David's doing that. He didn't have the satellites ruining the view, but uh, many people would love that view. But uh, the psalmist is giving account and praise. Did you know that the, the sun is the largest superstar? It's a million times bigger than the earth. Imagine that, a million times bigger than the earth. That's what the sun is. It's 93 million miles away from the earth. And God made that. God made everything. All that we look at, all that we see, God, God made that. And David's looking at that. The sun is just one of, what's mind-blowing to me, is one of perhaps 300 billion, some would say 400 billion stars. And when you go outside, in, 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 in the, if you can see, you got to get outside a little bit of Phoenix, and you look up at the night sky, you can see perhaps 5,000 stars to the, to the naked eye. You could see about 5,000. But did you know that there's actually 300 billion? All you can see is about 5,000. There's many folks in the scientific community that have become believers and because they're trying to understand how the world was created. It's a movement called the intelligent design theory. And uh, Ben Stein did a documentary on the uh, idea of intelligent design moving into the universities and teaching that as an elective to the evolution theory, put the intelligent design theory. God is the intelligent designer. Now, you can call him whoever you want is the academic uh, proposal, but there is no explanation that you, there's just a theory of evolution theory of how the world came to be. You can't even scientifically reproduce that theory to work. We've found no uh, intermediate species between you know, uh, uh, half-life form of half-human to, to, uh, uh, from ape to human. And so there's an intelligent design theory that is uh, taking root in our universities. I hope and pray that that would be taught as an alternative. Um, but you should check it out. Ben Stein's documentary called Expelled. Uh, I thought it was really good. So David is just taking inventory of all that God's created, and he's overwhelmed. And then look at verse 4. He says, what is man that you're mindful of him, and the son of man that you care for him? He uses two phrases to describe mankind, and he's overwhelmed perhaps by looking up at the stars and the moon and seeing all that, and he's given praise. And at night, many times they, in the evening hours, they would perhaps pick all the grapes and walk out there in the cool of the morning or in the cool of the evening, and this festival season would be going on, and this song would be on their lips. 
And Psalm, and Psalm uh, chapter, verse 5, he says, Yet you've made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. What he's doing right there is he's esteeming that mankind is over all creation. He is male and female. They're the cream of the crop. They're the best of all creation. Verse 6, you've given him dominion. That word is like responsibility, authority over the works of your hands. You've put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen and also beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the sea. There's dominion that mankind has, and this echoes what Genesis says in the very beginning, that we're to uh, fill the earth, to multiply and be fruitful, and then to subdue all that is in it. Mankind has a responsibility in creation that you don't dominate, uh, uh, but you have dominion. You have a responsibility, a stewardship, recall on your life to take care of and to look at and enjoy all that God has created. Verse 8 closes with the idea of the Lord's majesty. He says, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. I think at the end of the day, sometimes when we get out, we, we realize, man, God's big, God's powerful. And then your heart can grow in worship because of how good and how great God is. Three things I want to point out. Number one is that creation is distinct from God, yet dependent on him. Number one, creation is distinct from God, yet dependent on him. This is a a doctrinal idea that I'm going to present to you. Um, There's three common ways uh, for you to view God in the world that we live in. There's multiple ways, but I'm going to give you three. Um, One is the idea that the world, the material world, and all that exists, this is it. There is no God. We just have the world Oftentimes, atheists believe this concept. This is it. Enjoy as much as you want. Make as much money as you want because nothing exists after this. That's a very materialistic world. So you just live life as much as you want, enjoy it, and then after that, it's over. There's another theory of the creation theory, and that theory is is that God created this world and all that is in it has an active and a present relationship with the world And he is the creator, and this is the creation. This is a biblical view. And then there's a third view of what's called pantheism. And pantheism is basically God and the universe are kind of intertwined together, and there's good and evil in the universe, and everybody has access to the good and evil, and so this is where you get movies like Star Wars. This is where you get like Lion King, these ideas of good and evil. The, and the, the, the challenge is with pantheism is that God has no distinct personality um, because God is no longer holy because of the evil in the universe. And you and I see evil in the universe. Um, the, we see the injustice, we see the hate, we see the crime, we see the hurt. And so if God and the world are one, that's a pantheistic idea, then God must be evil, right? God must be, he's unpredictable. Um, and then the importance of human personality is lost in this goal of blending with the universe. And so I think about uh, recently in Uh, Years past, I've traveled up to Sedona and seen the New Age movement and interviewed folks that are very involved in the New Age movement. And they would argue that uh, 
that there's power and divine force in the rocks, in the trees, and there's healing. I mean, Sedona is one of the hottest places in the world for the New Age movement. And, uh, there's, and, and so there's very much this pantheistic idea interwoven into our culture, even in the Native American world, uh, and the thinking and the belief system is there's worship of the sun, there's worship of the, of the different creatures and the trees and all this stuff. And the Bible presents a very different view where, where it's not all just one, but God is distinct over this creation, is actively involved in the creation, and loves his creation. And to get that confused will really mess you up. I remember one of our first outreaches my wife and I did um, when we moved to Phoenix around 2010, and then we got going and we started the church in 2012. We were at the apartment complex right behind Fry's Electronics on Thunderbird. Really nice apartment community there that uh, we enjoyed. It was kind of an interesting neighborhood, but there was a lot of Indian folks uh, that were, uh, I guess, Hindu. And so we didn't know who would come. We threw this big party in the clubhouse, and we thought, we're going to have an awesome outreach. And uh, so we thought, we thought we were going to reach a lot of young families. So anyway, long story short is, my wife and I decided we're going to make a taco dinner because it's the Southwest, and we're trying to be, you know, acculturate and have some good fun. So we start serving all the tacos and all that, and we form this long line, and everybody comes in, and they're predominantly Indian folks. And uh, from India, and they're probably working in Discover and, and MasterCard and, and di- different uh, tech companies and stuff around the valley. And um, some of them were very fluent in English, and then some of them didn't have a very good English at all. And so we're serving everybody. And I remember standing in the line, and I watched everybody go through, and they were all skipping the beef. And I remember thinking, why are they skipping the beef? They got lettuce, they got tacos, sour cream, they got the salsa. They got everything, but they skipped the beef. And so I pulled one guy aside and I said, hey, um, you know, can you tell me like why everybody skipped the beef? Because that's like the best part. And he said, well, in our culture, uh, through our religion predominantly is Hinduism. And in Hinduism, we believe in reincarnation and these kinds of ideas. And so, and the cow is sacred and you killed the cow. And I thought, oh, that's not good. (laughs) So, and he said, and basically you're telling them to eat the sacred cow. And I thought, oh, that didn't work. And so in this idea, there is this importance for the Christian to understand that creation is distinct, yet it is dependent on God, but it's different. So we worship as believers the creator, not the creation. So we can freely eat cheeseburgers in the name of Jesus. So, uh, some of you are, are, are vegan. You can be vegan for the glory of God. You can be whatever you want. You're plant-based. You can be a meat eater. Whatever you want, you can do it for the glory of God. Number two, I would say, is that creation is all for God's glory. God's entire creation is intended to give glory to God. When you walk to the Grand Canyon, that's a testimony that you should say, God, I give you glory. It's powerful. It's beautiful. You created this. And you see the green and the trees. Why did he make it green? I don't know. But he chose to make it green. He spoke it to existence and it came to be. And so 
God's entire creation is intended to testify to his greatness all throughout the scripture. It's uh, that, that we should look up to the mountains and the, see the beauty of it and give praise to God for how he made it. We should look at the stars and be in awe. We shouldn't worship the stars. We should, there's something inside of us that's telling us there is a creator. That's actually what won me over to faith in Jesus Christ was seeing the power of creation and thinking, man, there's got to be a creator, and I think his name is Jesus. I'm going to give my life to him. And then creation is for God's glory. God did not create the universe because he, he had to. He created the universe as a free act for you and me to enjoy and then to see it and to give him glory. God is the creator, and he created this planet that we live on, the universe in which we live in, as a free act. God created the universe to take delight in, so he enjoys it, he, and he loves to see us enjoy it. And he created you as the top of all his creation. In, in the Genesis account, it says that he created all these things, and then he created male and female, and he says these, male and female, are very, very good. And so this is what explains the human creativity is God as creator. You see art and you see music and you see uh, the literary skills and uh, preaching skills and the musical skills on a Sunday morning. All of that is a testimony to a creator who gave creativity to the individual to represent and to give God glory. So everything you do that you're good at is a testimony that God's goodness in your own life whether you're good with numbers or whether you're good with stories or whether you're good with uh, cooking or, or writing or reading or whatever gifts that you have and abilities that you have, that gives testimony back to God as a creator giving you creativity. I think of uh, those who reject the idea of God's glory, um, oftentimes are atheists, uh, oftentimes are folks that say, you know, there is no God, it's foolish to believe but it's an interesting argument to go back to those individuals and perhaps say, well, do you know how Darwin's, Darwin, Charles Darwin, the founder of this concept of the evolution theory, do you know what happened in his own life? Darwin, as an uh, individual, um, was a believer at some point in time. And there's record to indicate that in his last hours on his deathbed, he changed his mind. I did some research this week and I want to read it to you. Uh, from a reliable testimony, it may be assumed that Charles Darwin returned to the Christian faith of his early manhood. Lady Hope visited him one afternoon in England. He was almost bedridden for some months before he died. And sitting up in bed, he held an open Bible. What are you reading? Lady Hope asked. He said, the royal book, I call it. Isn't it grand? Darwin answered, and Lady Hope mentioned about creation. Well, what about creation in the early chapters of Genesis, Darwin? And he seemed greatly distressed and had a look of agony that came over his face. And he said, well, I was a young man. I had uninformed ideas. I threw out queries and suggestions, wondering all the time over everything, questioned myself. And to my astonishment, those ideas took like wildfire. People have made a religion out of them. And then he added, listen, I have a garden outside this window. I want you to speak tomorrow to the people there that are gathering. She said, what should I speak about? He said, without hesitation, Christ Jesus. 
He replied and added in a lower tone, and his salvation. Is that, is that not the best theme? I want you to also sing some hymns. And then he added, and would you leave the, uh, the window open so that when you guys are singing, that I could hear and I could join along. See, I think uh, life tells the truth over time. And the Bible says is that every single person on the planet is going to have to give recognition to God. And every knee will bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. The glory is His. And oftentimes, right, through near-death experiences, that's when people turn from unbelief to belief. I think that uh, we look at creation and all that is in it, and we say it, it, is, it, it does reveal God's glory. But last, it reveals something also for us specifically. It reveals that creation is for our good. Creation is for our good. Everything that's created in the world around us is created for us to enjoy. At the end of each stage of creation in the book of Genesis, uh, God saw what he had done, and he said it is, help me out, good. He created the light and the expanse and said it's good. He created the waters and created the land, and he said it's good. He created the birds and the fish, he said it was good. And then at the end of it, he creates male and female and says, it's very good. And so even though we live in a world, material creation, uh, where there's now sin in the world, still the material creation is still good in God's sight and should be seen as good by us as well. This is actually what uh, the Apostle Paul challenged those in the New Testament in 1 Timothy. Uh, you can read about it where 1 Timothy chapter 4, uh, many believers are starting to abstain from all these different foods and drinks and uh, these different calendar events and all that. And Paul's saying like, quit trying to divide everything. There was this thing called Gnosticism where people are trying to separate spirituality from the material uh, creation. And if we have an improper view about creation, uh, things uh, get all confusing. And so the world, even though there is sin and sin entered the world, and um, there is still a lot of good, a wonderful good. And everything good that you see, you should enjoy. And you should say, thank you, God, for that. When you have a cup of coffee in the morning, you should remind yourself, for those of you that love coffee, say, thank you, God, for this. Or you eat a donut, and it's sweet and tastes good. Maybe you not eat too many donuts, but you have a donut, and you taste it, and you say, God, thank you for that sugar. Thank you for that taste, that sweetness. It reminds me of your fellowship. It reminds me of how good you are. Everything he created is good, even despite being sin in the world, and this could free us from the false ideas of asceticism that sees the use of enjoyment for, of material creation as wrong. I think, uh, for example, I'll take a one element of creation and uh, show you different views about it. And I'm going to use wine as the example because this psalm actually is very much, uh, the idea is, is that this psalm would be uh, sung through uh, uh, perhaps the festival or the celebration of ending the harvest season. So let's take, uh, depending on your biblical or theological view, creation is for our good, well, it could determine how you, what you eat and what you drink. Um, if the Bible says that all of creation is for our good, then let's take wine, for example. 
Um, wine is alcohol that's been fermented and turns into, has an alcohol, an effect, and if you drink too much of it, you can get drunk, and Bible says that's not good, you shouldn't do that, but let's just take three different views of alcohol. One view is, is that um, alcohol is evil because it, so many people ruin their lives, they get drunk, they say things they don't mean to say, and so alcohol is evil, and everybody who drinks alcohol, maybe they're not evil, but they're participating in evil. That's one view that believers hold to. Um, there's another view that says, no, alcohol is not evil, but everybody should partake in it with moderation. So, um, you know, and they quote verses like, well, Jesus turned water into wine, and, you know, and the Bible doesn't say, you know, uh, you can't have alcohol, but that you should not get drunk. So this is the moderationist view. Enjoy alcohol, but don't get drunk. Then there's the third view over here that says, well, alcohol is not evil, and I don't want to use it in moderation, but I choose to abstain. I just want to abstain for my personal choice. And here's what I would say at this church. This is what we believe the Bible most clearly reflects, and I think I could argue it all day long. It reflects this choice, you can abstain, or this choice, moderation. But to go so far and to say, well, that is evil, you can't do it, and anybody who does it is wrong, then there's a problem. Um, usually the prohibitionists were burned because there was a uh, terrible abuse of the creation, um, a terrible abuse of the wine, terrible abuse of the alcohol. Um, the Bible teaches us that creation is for our good, and everything that we have should be used for the glory of God. So here's what the Apostle Paul says. Listen, whatever you eat, whatever you drink, do it all for the glory of God. So you have a responsibility in life to go, man, God, I thank you for this creation. I thank you for what you've made. I thank you for this food. I thank you. And that's why it's a great idea even to pray at a mealtime and say, Lord, I thank you for this. This is wonderful that you've created people to be able to cultivate and ship uh, produce and, and these meats and these vegetables. I want to give you thanks for that. I think the psalmist David perhaps was holding up the grapes and saying, Lord, thank you for your, your blessing on us. Thank you uh, for the sky. Thank you for the moon. Thank you for the, the vineyards. Thank you for the people. Lord, thank you that you've been with me. Thank you you've been sovereign over my life. Thank you that you are my strength. You're my hope. You're my blessing. And so I want to encourage you as we close out today is to remember that creation is for our good. And God's created so much for us to enjoy. And so I want to close us in prayer, and then I'm going to invite the worship team uh, to come on up, and we'll uh, continue in, in our service. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for creation and all that you've created. I pray, Father, that we would look rightly to your word and make informed decisions on how to live. And uh, we thank you that all you've created is good. And it's all really, Lord, for your glory. We pray in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening. To become a supporter of North Valley Community Church, give today at northvalleychurch.org.